0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. Michael Hogan is a name that will need little introduction to supporters of Glamorgan and cricket lovers across Wales and indeed England. He has been the mainstay of the Glamorgan bowling attack across all forms of the game for the past 10 years. He recently finished not only his time with Glamorgan but also the first class game as well. With a career record of 186 games... Over 6,200 overs and 681 wickets, playing for Western Australia and Glamorgan, he has much to be proud of. We caught up with Michael after the close of the season and his final game at Hove against Sussex. There was much to talk about, so this is the first of three episodes of the podcast dedicated to Michael. A modern legend of Glamorgan cricket, who has quite rightly in many people's eyes been accorded the honour of being inducted into the Glamorgan County Cricket Hall of Fame. However, in this first interview, we talked to him about his home in Australia growing up and his first experiences of playing the first class game there. Well, a very warm welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, Michael Hogan. It's lovely to have you. Oh, lovely to be here. Since the season finished, which was what, about kind of t- ten days uh, ago now, um, I- I'm assuming you've been um, flooded with lots of kind of messages of goodwill and good good luck is that right
1: yeah yeah um obviously the people of uh of cardiff and and wales and glamorgan supporters i guess around the country as well or around the uh around the uk i suppose have been um have sent letters and and messages and of all goodwill as it turns out so i must have uh must have made a few people happy but um yeah it has been it's been nice to to get those sorts of messages it's um i guess i i must have done something right all over my time here okay well we'll talk about
0: some of those right things that you've done um you've you're also coming towards the end now of the testimonial season uh how has that gone uh and and what uh events are left to come for you
1: yep um it's gone okay um unfortunately cricket has got in the way of a lot of um a lot of planning (laughs) getting a getting a spot in the in the hundred i guess away from away from cardiff i didn't think that would have happened so it's got um it's sort of put a dent in a few um few events but it's gone um it's gone okay uh i've still got i've got a golf day on tomorrow uh which is which is full and then uh the following week uh we've got a we've got a dinner on in at uh at Sophia Gardens which we're still selling tables for so and then uh we've got a small lunch as well for members and supporters uh also at Sapphire. and then uh after that we have uh a luncheon in uh in the towers down in Swansea with John Williams so a little bit on in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks but um yeah, it's, uh, it's been good fun. And then planning
0: to go home very soon after those events?
1: Yeah. So I'm off, um, I'm off on the 5th of November. Uh, yeah, the 5th of November. So my wife starts a new job on, I land on the Sunday night and, um, I've got to be home to look after the kids. Uh, my wife starts a new job on the Monday. So she's already, uh, she's already cracked the whip and told me when I need to be home and what I need to be done
0: okay yeah so a new new reality awaits you as soon as you touch the
1: floor yeah back to back to a semi semi semi-normal existence I suppose for the for the for the foreseeable future anyway okay
0: well let's um let's talk a little bit about home uh Newcastle yeah here if we hear that name we think of shipbuilding and Geordie's and and Paul Gascoigne tell us a little bit about your Newcastle the, the place where you were born and brought up
1: Uh, yeah, very, I guess not. It is very similar, I suppose, where it's, it's very much a a blue collar town, steelworks. There is a shipbuilders there, funnily enough, when I was growing up, a very industrial sort of area. BHP had a massive factory there and obviously a bit further out into the Hunter Valley. There's a lot of mining and stuff. So, but surrounded by that is some of the best beaches in the world. So it's, um, covered all bases really there was you could surf if you wanted to and then 20 minutes away you could be out you know riding riding bikes around the bush as well so lovely place lovely quiet place although I am informed or have been informed over the years that I've sort of missed in being there I mean I haven't lived there now between my time in Perth uh, and here I I haven't lived there for about 15 years I suppose so it has changed a lot. They've got rid of a lot of industry and it's more of a, um, more of a, I think they call it a metropolis now. So it'll be interesting to find out what it's like. Yeah, uh,
0: It's not a small place. I mean, it's, um, I was checking out the population. It's almost tw- it's twice as big as Cardiff. So it's. Um...
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, and Newcastle and the surrounds. Yeah. That's, it's, it's quite big, but I guess to everything is, is golfed by by Sydney where there's with so many millions. And
0: uh, what about family, mum and dad, Michael? Tell us a little bit about them.
1: Uh, my dad still lives there in Newcastle. Uh, my mum, um, so I think when I was 14, I think it was, so uh, 26, 27, yeah, so 27 years ago, my mum passed away um, from, uh, from from cancer. So, I mean, that was... One of, one of the reasons why I guess through that period of time, between I guess twelve, thirteen, and eighteen, nineteen, I guess that I didn't actually play any sort of cricket, just circumstance and, and whatever else. So yeah, but my dad still lives there. He still lives in Newcastle. So uh, we, uh, as well as uh, as well of uh, one of my brothers as well, is still there. So
0: and sport? How did uh, I mean? We did you play sport as a youngster? what kind of sports were you interested in yes
1: yeah, so i played football and and cricket as as a young fella um, i think uh, in australia we used to... soccer was uh, was what they called it soccer or, or rugby league so i played a bit of both that i it took me a long time to grow up i was really small as a kid so playing rugby league i, I when 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 the uh, i guess the kids my age started to grow up and out i i didn't uh, I didn't keep up with them. So um, I started to get hurt a bit. So I moved into soccer, football, and played a lot of that. Probably played more football, I suppose, than, than I did cricket through those sorts of years. Um, between, I guess, 13 and, and 20, Yeah, cricket came after my junior time. So after sort of, I guess, under 10s through to under 12s, under 13s, I guess I didn't really play cricket again until I was... 19 20 and then from there sort of moved into gray cricket but that was my junior junior stuff I found more more interest in in the beaches and surfing through that sort of um, teenage period in my in my life in Newcastle through the summer so cricket didn't really cricket was on the back burner
0: were you any good at surfing
1: yeah yeah reasonable not like not at any sort of competitive level but that was one of those things it was just such a I mean I guess it's a there's some nice waves in Newcastle, and I could, you know, get out there and, and enjoy yourself. It was um quite a quite, I guess, a a, a peaceful sort of um, hobby. Um, take yourself out, take yourself away from everything, and and, and uh, just do a bit of surfing. It was nice.
0: I can imagine surfing is one of those sports that's very all-consuming. It's you you, you can only think about the waves and the next wave and um, kind of being back in the surf. A, a, little bit kind of just takes you out of everything and focus you yeah i guess
1: so i mean you you can just shut yourself off from from whatever's going on in your life i think for that sort of hour or two that you get you spend out there It's um i mean you come back in put your board away and go on with go on with normal day i suppose but um it's just a good stress release good way to relax and um and sort of yeah forget about everything else
0: did you have any heroes, uh, sporting heroes or, or, or otherwise?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, I, I, I regardless of playing or not playing cricket, I still used to love watching cricket. Obviously, I used to love um, Shane Warne. Uh, used to obviously, Glenn McGrath would have been someone that I modelled my um, not necessarily the bowling action, but the way I went about my bowling, I suppose. In, Looking back, I used to love watching him by. He was so good, and so dominant, and he was never express pace, just tall and on the spot. So that's what I tried to um, sort of model my game on. I would say Glenn McGrath would be the one guy that I probably followed more than anyone else.
0: When you finished your formal schooling, when would that have been in in Australia? About
1: 17, 18? Yeah, so I was 17. It would have been, funny that, would have been in 1998.
0: And then was it sort of, just kind of into a working life and playing cricket sort of recreationally at
1: the weekends is that what yeah so I'd, I'd, I'd not even started playing again yet um after I finished school I still hadn't started playing I went into um some, some electrical work uh, found my obviously turning 18 and being allowed into licensed premises and these sorts of things I found that working with electricity possibly wasn't the best thing for me. <laughs> um, I did, I did electrocute myself a few times. Thank, thankfully, circuit breakers did their job. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I sort of, I, I again, put that to the side. I think just for my, for my own health, I had to, um, I had to separate myself from that for a while. And I, I thought that I may go back and sort of, and finish an apprenticeship or once I finish cricket, but, the state of my knees and and ankles and back. I don't think I'll be able to crawl around under houses and through roofs and stuff now. So it's probably uh, it's probably not a good idea now either. But um, see, so yeah, I sort of moved into that. And then from there, started to know a few people who were playing cricket at the local pub site at the, the Cricketer's Arms and got into that, um, started playing cricket again that way. So shorts and t shirt. Surf in the morning, play cricket in the afternoons, and then duck off to the pub on a Saturday after, evening for a for a few beers. So it was um, it was all just part of uh, recreation.
0: So then, grade cricket comes in Sydney at some point, sort of in your in your mid twenties.
1: Yeah. So I mean, so the story goes. So I was obviously playing um, at this really low level, I suppose, for the cricketer's arms and. It was that we were at the pub, and the pub was closing. And so we will go across the road. There's another pub across the road, and there's, not, there's always another pub across. There's the always way. another pub, but that's open, yeah, in Newcastle especially. So we we go across the road, and there's a few guys from Meriwether District Cricket Club, the the top grade, I suppose, or the top sort of level in 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 Newcastle and with they, they a couple of these guys knew a couple of guys I played with and so they asked me down for a practice and I um I went down and obviously did quite well and started playing grade cricket played a couple of years of grade in Newcastle and then moved to moved to Sydney in 2006 2005 6 2005 I think after that after a few years in in Newcastle so so I moved down there. Didn't enjoy it a great deal. So i come back to Newcastle for another year and then went back down to Sydney. It was what, what I felt was probably a good, I was in a good space. I was in a, you know, I was bowling well and that was in 2008. Do you want to
0: tell us a little bit about your bowling action? Was that just something that you developed very early on and have stuck with? Or were there any kind of ways that you changed it as you began to play a little bit more competitively?
1: Uh, not really. I think that was just something that, that that happened. I didn't have any sort of any sort of coaching or anything obviously through my through my junior years. That was the way I bowled. It was a little bit awkward, I suppose it was a little bit past the straight or past the perpendicular. I guess I go a little bit over myself, which is. You know, if if you're coming through a junior system, that would be coached out of you straight away. So yeah, when I when I started to play through some second eleven stuff in New South Wales, I was told uh, quite early on that I'll I'll never make it. There's no way that you'll make it without an outswinger. I didn't naturally have an outswinger, and, and so I I went away and I thought, all right, I have to have an outswinger, and then. After a, a month or so, I just thought, do you know what? No, no, I'm I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to. This is actually successful, and I'm in the top three wicket takers in the Sydney Grade comp, which is probably the strongest in Australia, and probably the best decision that I've made. I think was to say, no, do you know what? I I'll I'll do it my way. You were quite
0: successful in some of that representative cricket.
1: Yeah, that was that that was it as well. I I, I think I played. Uh played New South Wales country stuff and um was player of the the country tournament, I guess the year before I moved to Sydney. So and yeah, I took some wickets for second eleven, which again was another reason why I thought, well, do you know what this this actually works for me? Yeah, I guess I guess so my that sort of style was yeah, was probably unnatural to what most people have faced, which probably helped me in the end.
0: Do you think there's something in that some somewhere for, for, for young players? you know, to go with their instincts as much as they can and do what's right for them, obviously listening to coaches and taking on advice, but, you know, sticking with, with kind of what feels right.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, unless there's, unless there's a concern that you'll, you could seriously injure yourself, you know, I think we're finding now though, that, you know, a lot of different bowlers and a lot of sort of different ways to do things now. And that's probably one of, one of my favorite messages now is don't, don't ever let anyone tell you you're you doing it wrong. You know, as long as it's, as long as it's safe and as long as you're enjoying yourself, but also that you're, you know, that it's it's working for you, then it's not wrong. If you, if you're taking wickets or scoring runs, like Steve Smith scoring runs is a is a perfect example of that. May not look the best, but if you're um, if you're successful, if you're scoring runs or taking wickets, you know it it's obviously working for you.
0: You had a family tragedy at some point around about that time Michael which you have talked about previously I, I hope you're okay about talking about it
1: yeah that's yeah, fine
0: it, it had a big impact on, on on your approach to your cricket is that is that right
1: yeah so I mean that was in my second year that was my, this was my second time in Sydney and I was sort of midway through the season and then this was um this was January the 3rd it was that my brother had a had a car accident and passed away. Um, the youngest youngest brother of the there's three of us, and um, yeah, that was um, it was a tricky time for obviously for the family and for for me personally. But um, I remember getting selected, funnily enough, to play for New South Wales second eleven in that about three or four days after the accident and before the funeral. And I, I wish I, I mean, I wish I had turned it down, but I thought this is my first opportunity. Or it could be my only opportunity. And if I say no, then I'm, um, you know, I, I may not get another chance. So I went on this trip to Adelaide and obviously didn't do very well. It wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near it. And um, came back and they sort of had a conversation with the club and my club told them the scenario. So, um that new south wales cricket were good about that and they, you know, they gave me another opportunity and stuff but it was sort of i mean while it was while it was a tough time for for myself and the family i think um it was also quite quite eye opening um you know that something could be taken away in in the you know in the in the blink of an eye i suppose from where you think that everything's gone Going fine, and then you know, you, you get a phone call so that, that, that your brother's gone. So, um, so that was that was a certainly an eye opening moment for me to say, Look, right now, you've you knuckle down and and um, actually start taking this really seriously because I was in a good position, i had been taking a lot of wickets, but I'd still, you know, I still enjoyed the social side say, of training. Then after training you' go to to the pub on a thursday night for for selection and these sorts of things you'd stick around you have beers and so I started to cut that out and started to treat you know my fitness with a bit more respect as well and I think yeah whilst you know that was a, it was a tough period I think it was probably the one moment where I think you know that taking something good out of a bad situation that was the The moment where I realised that I had a chance to actually bring some happiness to my family as well as, you know, actually do the right thing for myself. And yeah, whilst I'm obviously I'm going to say that I'd give anything to to have my brother back. But that was just sort of an eye opening moment in my career where I um, knew what I had to do. Okay, there's a phone call that
0: happens at some point uh, from Tom Moody.
1: Yep. Do you want to tell us about that? That was at the end of that season in in Sydney. I was 27. I just had a few conversations with New South Wales cricket and they basically said look we can't we can't offer you a contract because they had a host of host of test players or host of Australian players were coming off central contracts back down to their New South Wales contracts and they couldn't fit me in, Stuart Clark and uh, Doug Bollinger and Nathan Bracken. and So they couldn't fit me on their contract list, which was you know, a bit of a shame. And I remember speaking to um, Matthew Mott, was the coach there at the time, and speaking to him, he said, look, if you just hang around somewhere through the season, you'll, you'll get a game and you'll get a chance to prove yourself, I think. And I thought, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm, time's moving on here. I think it might be time to, to sort of move myself Back to Newcastle and, and go about having a a normal job and I just started a new relationship as it turns out with my with my now wife so um been time to sort of settle down and and think about what I was going to do next and then just about to move or go up to Newcastle and and Tom Moody phoned basically said can you get on a can you get on a plane tomorrow and and fly over to Perth for a centre-wicket trial yeah, I was like out of the blue I so, said yeah yeah okay. Of course, of course, I can. So, um, and that's
0: that. That's not like a trip from Cardiff to Swansea, is it? That we're talking about, kind of, you know, the other side of Australia.
1: Yeah, it's probably like from, I guess it's from Cardiff Airport to Greece. <laughs> it's good four <laughs> hours. Good four hours. Um, pro- probably more actually. Um, getting towards five if you get the wrong winds. So, yeah, it did quite well. Obviously. I, th- I thought I'd done okay considering I-, I hadn't bowled. Our season had finished about three weeks before and I hadn't done any sort of bowling or anything since then. And so I had to sort of scratch around and make sure they hadn't thrown my spikes out <laughs> and then, and then, um, you yeah, know, just got tap on the back. Well done back on the plane, no feedback. And then, um, you yeah, had the phone call three or four days later offering me, a- offering me a contract. So it was, um, yeah, a bit of a, a bit surreal, a bit sort of. Um, I mean, I, I guess it was one of their it was one of their lower contracts, and probably the lowest contract I'd imagine. And maybe someone else may have tried to negotiate a better one, but I just thought <laughs> oh, I've got to sign this, so I was pretty much signed it straight away. Do you want to
0: tell us now about your experiences playing first class cricket with Western Australia? Just kind of the highlights, of, you know, perhaps some of the people you bumped into or some of the influences on you when you kind of started in, were you nervous about playing? Were you kind of, or did you just kind of get stuck in?
1: I think like I I was, I was nervous. So got into pre-season training and and really sort of worked hard, you know, met some of the, the bigger players, obviously met Sean Marsh and um, Mitch was just a kid. Then Mitch Marsh was just a kid. Then he was only 15 or 16, but I lived with uh, Jeff and Michelle Marsh for, I guess about six weeks, six eight weeks when I first got there, which I mean they, they were like like a second family now, and I've I've still you know I'm still great friends with with Sean and Mitch, and I keep in regular contact with them. But first game of the season was a was a fifty over game against Queensland, and got to game day, not again not expecting to play, and then I got the tap on the shoulder. You're going to make your debut, and then from there, I was really nervous. It was probably that's the most nervous I've been on a on a cricket field. I think it was just that before that the morning of the first game or kind of it might have been a night game. I was yeah I was incredibly nervous and I, my first over went for a lot, I have fifteen and I remember I think Marcus North was the captain and he sort of kept said look you just breathe. <laughs> Just breathe. It's all right. Relax. Get the first one out of the way. We'll deal with that. And then you'll get into your work and you'll be fine. It's all right. Cool. And um, as it turns out, yeah, I think my first over went for 15, 16, something like that. Um, And then I bought my next nine for about 20. So I had a reasonable debut, got a wicket, um, which was good. And from there, I think I, I moved into a Shield game. I played either the third or fourth Shield game of the year. I wasn't as nervous there. It, it was not. After that experience, I think I, I, it didn't really phase me too much. So I played, now, yeah. One
0: of my colleagues wanted to ask you, um, can you remember your first wicket in a Sheffield Shield game?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. It was my, in my second over. Yeah. Um, it was uh chris rogers at the um at the m c g um bold yes. hogan and court uh adam Voges. so just ran across him nicked him off the first slit yeah and then um i'm glad you got two, all the
0: details right it's all written here in front yeah, of you yeah well done. two
1: balls i think then two balls later i i i nicked off uh, david hussey as well so that was my, my second second over in first class cricket so it was Probably a sign that I didn't really have too many nerves, I suppose. You played in the Big Bash. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I played. I mean, the first two years of the Big Bash, there massive crowds and and awesome atmosphere. It's very much like the hundred now. Uh, went obviously went to to Hobart, so left left Perth. Well, not left Perth, but moved to franchise cricket, I suppose. So went to Hobart just for the the big bash and spent some good, some nice time down there. It was a lovely spot and a little bit different to, to the hundred over here where, you know, there's, there's probably more, there's more big bash teams than there are domestic, domestic sides, state sides. So everyone's still getting a game. It's just that there's, there's a lot of players moving around. So you know playing in Melbourne and playing in under like 40, 50,000 people was, was something, um, uh, something surreal, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was good, good fun. You mentioned a little while ago
0: that you'd, you'd just met Rachel before you kind of made the, the move into playing for class cricket. Um, how did you sustain or maintain your relationship <laughs> while you were kind of, because you were on the other side of Australia? Did, did Rachel come with you or?
1: So we'd only been dating for a few months, I suppose, and uh, she stayed. Uh, she had a good job in Sydney and we just thought we'd see how it, see how it went. She decided that um, she would move to Perth. We were married two years later. So
0: when when was that, Michael? What what, what year are we talking about now?
1: So it was two thousand nine when when she moved to Perth, and then we was yeah, we were married in two thousand eleven. So
0: there was there was an even bigger move that was coming for you, um, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I, I came across a little story about you hitting three consecutive sixes in a Sheffield Shield game. Do you do you, mem- you must remember that.
1: Three consecutive sixes. It's happened a few times. <laughs> I think it, it must Against, be... uh Xavier Doherty? Uh, Xavier Doherty, yeah. Mm. So it must be at the WACA, yeah. So the backstory to that is I got hit by Doug Bollinger and got a uh, concussion and um, a fast, bouncy one at the WACA. And um, so I got peppered. I was getting hit under the armpit and hitting the ribs. And I had no sort of protection on They ran me out an arm guard from the, from the change room. And I've never faced anything that fast before in my, in my life, I suppose. And I, that was something I'd never seen before. And I, or not seen before it was yeah, really quick. And so from there, I sort of got into a bit of a, like I'll, I'll get them before they got me type of mindset. So I, that's where I started to sort of take it on and, take on the bowling so um Xavier Doherty was bowling it doesn't spin much at the whacker it's a lovely place to bat when you're facing spin and I thought well I'm I'm gonna have him <laughs> so I hit him for yeah, for three three sixes in a row and then ran ran past the fourth one and got stumped <laughs> um, so
0: yeah you were player of the season for Western Australia 2010-2011 yeah and you received this lovely little medal I guess the lot Laurie saw, Saul. Saul, yeah, and I believe Laurie very sadly passed away this summer. We, you yeah. are aware of that?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, that there was, I guess, very. It's probably very similar to Glamorgan. I guess we were still got some of the some of the guys, Alan Jones and these guys, getting around and still very much a part of the club. Laurie would come down. He would come down to most most time games at the Whacker and sit in the stands and talk to the players and stuff. So. Um, such a nice man, but um yeah that was a um that was a yeah it was a good year i, I had a had a very good year that year and it's probably one of those ones we had a few injuries at the start um i guess what you would call our senior bowlers uh brett dory and and McGoffin were injured, and i guess it was probably up to me in my in my second year to try and lead that bowling attack and I got the best out of myself and people got the best out of me. He's putting, putting trust into me and, you know, asking me to, to sort of, to be a leader, I suppose. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Was there ever a, an opportunity in your mind that you could get
1: to test level in Australia? I think there was, I mean, it, it again, it's one of those things. We you just, you, you need to be in the right place at the right time. Like a lot of, I mean, probably like the way that I, I guess got an opportunity in first-class cricket. Fast bowlers are falling out of trees, basically, and there's you just need to have a few a few injuries at the right time when you're bowling well, and and it it could happen. And I I sort of I thought I was I was doing well enough. Um, I guess myself and Jackson Bird were probably similar bowlers, and and he. He got the nod one year I can't remember which year it was, which I think I was only I was only two or three wickets behind him in the in the shield tally that year as well, and I thought, yeah, do you know what I, I I must be close, but you know maybe I probably would have needed another another one or two injuries to get a to get a look in but i think I think I was probably close, but when Mickey Arthur took over as Australian coach, he came with a mantra of pace pace wins games and at that time Mitchell Stark was just sort of making his way. They had Doug Bollinger. They had um, James Pattinson was just starting. Pat Cummins was just starting. You know, so they had these guys that were sort of getting towards well 90 plus miles an hour. And I I I couldn't get I couldn't compete with that. So that's sort of that was probably the when I knew that I wasn't I wasn't going to get there. I was sort of in my 30s time to start looking at opportunities to, to get the most and get, allow myself to play for as long as I possibly could.
0: Many thanks to Michael for giving us his time. Next time on the podcast, you can hear him talk about his arrival at Glamorgan and some of his experiences of playing in Wales and his thoughts on bowling as well as his response to how Justin Langer, his coach at Western Australia, described him. So tune in next time for some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Bye for now.
1: Bydd gyda chi'n stori yw'r e mwcpod1921 at gmail.com neu ewch Facebook, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, neu i'n Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact e mwcpod1921 at gmail.com. Or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.